Joshua Hensley, uh, welcome. How are you? Good. You doing great, man? Josh is one of the one of the best dudes out there in the um, crypto world. Uh, <laughs> Josh, Josh is a is an independent software developer and uh, came from the corporate world, but in the last several years has been just playing around, hacking around on um, on Bitcoin and Bitcoin SV in particular. And um, we might touch on some of the reasons why. And he's got he's got a YouTube channel with a bunch of really interesting videos. Uh, everything from technical stuff that I don't understand to commentary to uh, price price action stuff. Not like technical analysis, but just sort of discussing the craziness of price ups and downs. So besides the fact that you have always reminded me of Steph Curry, uh, who's my favorite current basketball player, um, I was watching some of your videos and just recently and I thought, you know, I should have Josh on and maybe we should do it. <laughs> maybe we should do it a segment called tell him why you mad son. Um, <laughs> because I don't know if you were into hip hop, but nineties hip hop back in the day, Mace uh, had this album and he had like the little skits in between. And it was like little skits with the mad rapper and the mad producer. They'd be like, tell him why you mad son. Tell him why you mad. And they just got, was complain about all these kids ruining the rap game that's kind of that's kind of sometimes i can relate to your um i think one of your videos is titled 99 of crypto is garbage so maybe we'll start there tell yeah. them why you mad josh well it, i think especially with all the madness in the 2020s and you know what what's what's made it into the mainstream with crypto stuff I mean, if, if you were an outsider looking in, it just look, you would have to question like, what are these guys doing? I mean, you see the the leader, leader of the second highest crypto wearing pajama pants and unicorn shirts <laughs> and like with the with a pink, like, I don't know if you've seen this picture or oh, not. I've I've seen it. I've seen it. I saw somebody tweet um all of my net worth is entrusted to this man or something <laughs> like, Oh, isn't this fun and cute. <laughs> and then, you know, all these avatars of these ugly apes and, and then that the recent story, which I just thought was, you know, was just morally wrong where the, one of the guys who owns a bunch of crypto punks, which, you know, are somehow worth millions of dollars. Um, they were going to do an auction on that. So thing, which, you know, absurdity of, of merging crypto with traditional auction markets, absurdity of that aside. They, last minute, they said, actually, no. And then they posted a meme making fun of them on Twitter. And I'm just like, okay, man, you know, on one hand, it's, it's, it's one thing to market that you're against these people. It's another to just be straight up disrespectful, right? <laughs> it, it's kind of like, and again, I'm not you know, I mean, I'm sitting here drinking a beer and I'm wearing a sweatshirt and a hat. I'm not, I'm not at all like everything should be serious business with a suit. It's, but it's more like the more absurd and, and senseless you can be, the more valuable you're, per, you're perceived to be. It's like, so I remember, um, cause I, cause I've been, I've been, part of me wants to do a video called like, uh, nfts are for idiots or something like that <laughs> but um but i remember early on um you playing around with with tokens 
mm-hmm. um, and also NFTs. And like me, you're thinking, oh, cool. Okay, tokens. Okay, just creating a token, that's not useful in and of itself. But I can see some really interesting use cases where tokens can can provide economic value that is not currently being provided. They can perform some kind of function that is not performable currently with any form of money or software. And this kind of you know hybrid between money and software, could, some really interesting things. So like utility tokens and same with NFTs. Okay, if the NFT has something about it, the digital thing takes some physical collectible and makes it a more easily liquid secondary market where you can trade that, the rights to that thing, and you can redeem it. And you and I have both played around with that. And I think we're both have been, and I think you more than me, because you issued a token on BSV. Like, well, I think the first one when BSV started allowing people to mint tokens and people just bought it like tons of it for like crazy amounts with no reason and no, you were like, hey, this is a fun experiment. This is cool. I might try to do something with it. And in fact, when you tried to make it have some utility, people seem to like it less, yeah. right? There's like this weird thing where you try to, you attach it to something real that has some kind of purpose and it suddenly, eh, right? Yeah. It suddenly becomes less interesting to people. So t- tell me like, how do you keep, from just turning straight up grumpy and throwing, just being like the whole space is, is I'm done with it and say, no, there genuinely is something valuable about tokens, about NFTs, about the functionality, what this video series is all about, tiny payments, micro payments. You know, like how do you, how do you maintain a focus and an interest in that in a world where the minute you talk about that, people glaze over and they want to go talk about an ugly ass picture of an ape with a worm coming out of its nose. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I think it, especially now with all the negativity, it's harder to do that. But I mean, I, I think for me, I've kind of resolved myself that's long term. You know, I'm willing to go much longer than uh, even though even though what it's been two three years already. But I'm willing to go longer. Um, I, I do see frustration though with peers uh, on that subject. Like they are sitting here saying, th- thinking I've made something that actually is useful or that is not something that's meant to pump in, you know, 10X in one day. I've made something that's truly genuine and unique and the market rejects it. And on one hand, the creator could be blamed because they are, you know, product market fit, right? They're just trying to be reasonable in an unreasonable environment. (laughs) (laughs) What reasonable customers, your total addressable market is like eight people. But if you want, on the other hand, you know, the market, if, if, if what they purchase isn't going to 2x, 5x, 6x within hours or days, reject. The market rejects it. And I actually just made a video about that. I released it earlier today, which I kind of screwed up with the audio, but I talked about some of this stuff where, you know, it's not sustainable, right? Like someone, I mean, I got some flack for saying the word shouldn't, should it should or shouldn't, I made the comment that I don't think it's sustainable for someone to launch a picture NFT and make 30K in a matter of like five, six hours. Because if that was the case and everybody would just do it and the liquidity would just be forever. And we know that's not true. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I want to, I want to go back a little bit to your, 
you know, some of your initial involvement and in, in, in now as well, but um, why do you think that so little attention has been paid to the nano payment abilities of Bitcoin? Or let's just say crypto, Bitcoin SV, Bitcoin Cash. There's, there's a handful of others, uh, mm-hmm. Dash, Nano, Solana. There's a few that can do very, very, very small payments. Um, like when you first got into this, was that something that, piqued your interest or was it more other attributes of Bitcoin or, 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 um, you know, as you've played around with apps, like how much of a factor does the, the ability to make hundredth or thousandth of a penny transactions play into your interest in the technology? I'll, I'll say that my interest initially was the, was just the actual global instant payment side that's outside of the banking system, not like, you know, outside of regulation or whatever, just that the, the, the thought of that, because I had even dealt with some of that as a teenager with my relatives in Mississippi. I mean, even, but that was like what, 2008. And that was a huge pain. Right. Um, and, but also did credit card implementations at my former job. And it's just horrible. I mean, there's just so many pitfalls with it, but I will say that the tiny payment thing has is probably the biggest reason why I believe in it long term, because there's just not that concept has never existed in human history of the ability to send such a small amount so easily. Like that's that's just never been a thing. So that's why I believe in the long term of it. That's at the core. That's not necessarily what I want to implement. Now, I, I, to a degree, right, in in some of my products, but that's. That, I'll just say that that wasn't what got me into it, but that's what's kept, what will keep me here. Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of like two ways in which I think the tiny payments are revolutionary. One is, um, as you said, just opening up a whole sphere of economic activity. Like th- throughout history, the ability to, to make very small payments has been there for like a highly localized market, right? Like you can use a, a physical penny, right? Mm-hmm. If you have physical change can't go below a penny really, but you can use a physical penny, you know, in, in older societies, you could use some tiny shaving of gold or some shells or some, but it's very, very localized, right? To, to the idea of the cost of transporting money any distance, it only makes sense if it's a pretty decent size amount of money, right? So it's, it's like the tiny payment market is your local five and dime store and where you're using physical change, but that's it. And now when you have the digital world, being able to make tiny payment markets global, that's a massive breakthrough and there's a lot there. But I think the other component of the breakthrough is the types of services that themselves may not involve a customer paying a business a tiny amount, but the technology involved in what they're building requires payments that can be very, very, very small. So, um, Let's take an example of the game that you've talked about, Crypto Fights, which is like a, it's like a dice rolling game. I'm not familiar with these types of games. You roll the dice and then your player makes a move. And apparently there's a, doing those games digitally, people worry about cheating or something. And so every, every move is logged on chain. Now that game, they, could, they, they don't need a business model that requires you to pay a tenth of a penny for every dice roll. They could have you pay a monthly fee to play the game. They could have you pay a lot of different ways. But in order to make the data in this public ledger so that it's the cheating problem is very um, difficult, it it needs really tiny amounts to be able to be paid to a miner to add data to a 
to a ledger in real time. So like there's that component as well where the, the consumer may not ever interact with it. And maybe the producer doesn't even get paid in tiny payments, but something about the technology itself requires that to be used. And it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you've been playing around in a lot of things that have more of that component involved. Where like they need really, really, really low fees to interact with the blockchain, but the business model itself may not involve any two parties making small payments to each other. Right, exactly. I think I'm not. I'm not. I haven't used Pow Chess yet, but that's like a P2P chess game where they use these payments to go back and forth. Maybe they bet on it before or whatever. And I don't know if they log everyone, but I know they put the game state at the end. They put some level of data on chain at the end, and of course, you know that would cut heavily into their revenue if that was too much. So I mean, I guess the fact that they're doing it is proof that they get value out of that. Yeah, the, just the ability to connect data to money on such a granular level. Um, very, very interesting. Well, tell me, um, for, for people you know, watching this or listening to this who are not familiar with you, tell me about some of the projects that you've worked on and some of the things that you have found particularly interesting um, in regards to Bitcoin, in regards to crypto. So uh, when I first... Like after I got obsessed with it, with from the credit card and seeing, you know, the gaps there and seeing how it could fill the gaps. The next one that got me was um, like EDI data, which is uh, electronic data interchange, whatever. Well, main, meaning when companies talk to each other for whatever businesses, maybe uh, some uh, business needs to place, needs to interact with their supplier. A lot of that, those orders they, they have to do some custom integration to make that happen, right? Um, in the past, it might have been phone calls, but at, at scale, right? I mean, there's no way that if you're a fruit supplier, you're going to be on the phone with Walmart and Costco. Like, no, you need that needs to be automated, bulk processing. But though, obviously, Costco, Walmart's fruit supplier, their databases are all, you know, on different machines. So how do they talk to each other? Well, usually you get a bunch of devs and you do the integrations and, you know, they all have different standards, but if you, now there is a standard, but of course, a lot of, not a lot of people coalesce on that. And that's because everyone's got different machines, different systems. But to me, the idea of someone who's actually done some of this stuff, if you could have a standard that's on a public ledger, on a single public ledger, that would simplify and reduce the risk across the board and re reduce costs. Back to your point about the tiny payment part, because you would pay a little tiny fee Versus storing the same type of information in different formats on three different databases, you could put it on a public ledger. Of course, people have issues with encryption and all this stuff. That's not in the scope I want to talk about. Just the idea of it, right? If you could like encrypt some of the same data and all three people look at that, your chances of mistakes are reduced, right? Because it's not passing three different, right? So that was that from once I, like as I was transitioning from my old job to being independent, that was the thing I looked at. But then I started to realize well, when I tried to push some of this at my old company, you know, there's lots of resistance there because it's just, it's such a huge shift, right? Um, but that, that, was, that was the thing initially that I got into. So uh, one of the first apps I built was Wimbell, which took an RSS feed and published the link and its title on-chain, automatic, right? So that people could consume that. Um, that service has since kind of transformed. It's kind of in limbo. Um, it didn't really work out, but at first people were really interested in it. 
they were interested in the idea of like saving a link or saving text on chain really simply, you know, archiving it, backing it up. And of course that required small payments, right? Um, so, so you would take, so I remember using Winbelt, so I'm gonna make sure I know how it works. Cause man, RSS feeds, oh, I still miss the Google reader days. And I know you can, I know you have that Feedly and they have some of these now, but, um, but you could take a, so let's say my blog, I could take, I could get the RSS from there. I could create a Winbell um, and say, this is the RSS. I want this to, to publish. Every time something new is published to the blog, the link and the information gets uploaded on chain. And I would have to pre-fund that, right? With like a few bucks. Like, let's say I put five bucks in there and then it would notify me when it ran out. Like it's, pay, it's spending a fraction of a penny every time one of those goes up. If my funds get low, and if I remember correctly, you had it integrated with Twitch so that it would also create, that would also show up because it's on chain and Twitch is just rendering data that's on chain in, in the feed. It would show up in the feed. And if anybody liked it or took any of those actions that paid money, that would go to keep funding the wind bell basically, right? It would actually go to the person who curated it. And Oh, got it. Yeah. Okay, got it. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so really interesting idea, a way to sort of, allow people to back up back up content on chain for a very small amount and then potentially earn money if other people like the content that they've been adding to the chain okay got it got it um what what brought about your like desire to build that and then why why would you say that it's like put on the back burner now it's well one it didn't make tons of money so it's not that it was I was losing money. It just it wasn't making enough to justify. And I think that goes back to what we said earlier, where a lot of this stuff that seeks to, you know, add stuff from more traditional markets is kind of rejected by the crypto space at the moment. Um, but uh, as far as why, yeah, why I stopped, I just, yeah, it was mostly because of the money factor. It just, I, I felt like other things, my time was better spent moving elsewhere. It yeah. is something I'm still fascinated with. I, I do still want to eventually go back to it and, you know, try to pivot a bit and do something else with it. Cause I think there really is something there with RSS and Bitcoin. And I just, I'm struggling to find what exactly that could be. I feel like there needs to be probably some communication with people who do have RSS feeds still and are actually, you know, they have traffic on them and seeing how can these two be merged. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is so interesting. Like there's so many things going on. It's hard to pinpoint what's what, right? So something like that, you could say, okay, well, you know, it doesn't make enough money to justify my time. Well, why? Well, it could be because it's just not something people want, right? Maybe it's just a product. That's not a good idea. That happens. It could be because the number of people who are, uh, you did it on the Bitcoin SV blockchain. So it's limited to the market of people who use Bitcoin SV, which is just really, really small. And why is it really small? Well, there's all kinds of reasons. We don't need to get into all that. But um, you know, some of them, some of them because there's a million cryptos out there and it's just hard to stand out. Some of them because uh, everybody hates Bitcoin SV because of the prominent voices there are suing everyone and whatever. Um, so it could be that you could say, well, maybe that market will get bigger if Bitcoin SV keeps making apps that people like or something. Maybe it's a future thing. You're just too early. Um, you know, it, it could be, um, I had another one. I had a third one. I was trying to, oh, it could be because until the craziness of the 
99% bullshit um, dies, no one is just going to have any capacity to pay attention to anything else. Like until that crashes and, and burns, uh, it's like, why would you play around with RSS feed with fractions of a penny when you can mint a, a picture, you know what I mean? And make like 20 bucks or a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. And just, so yeah, there's, and it's hard to know what's what, right. And you got to, as like a builder, as a tinker or an entrepreneur, you want to always stay in open learning mode and not get like bitter and be like, the market is wrong. They don't appreciate me. Right. Maybe you picked the wrong tech. Maybe you have the wrong product. Maybe you got the wrong execution. Uh, maybe you're too early. Um, you know, but maybe there is a lot of hype in the market and maybe it will die down and it will be valuable. So it's kind of, it's really hard to navigate those things and like decide and not get bitter that like people don't appreciate the, <laughs> your project, you know? I, I am starting to think, like, I, I don't think I really had an opinion on that before about, because there is a narrative that, you know, this, this whole micropayment thing can't really take off until this whole crypto nonsense stops. I, I honestly, I am starting to believe it because what, again, from peers, what I'm, some of the feedback I'm seeing is that the moral hazard is there, right? Like, so for, for example, even if um, you did like, so naturally people are going to do scams, right? It's just going to happen. I, and I accept that. And I, I've even said that I think it's a good thing that people try this stuff because you iterate eventually and that stuff fizzles out, like what happened in 2017. Um, but what if, if, if productive people see that going on where they've tried something where they know they put work in and they see some market adoption, but just not the degree of what someone else is getting for clearly less or even false promises or something that's clearly a scam, but people know they buy it because everybody knows it's a scam, but they're all trying to dump on each other before the scam gets revealed, right? Um, that it creates an incentive for the productive people to not be productive and to go build that because they're like, Oh, well, I could do that better. And I could just make 50 K in two days and call it a day. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, another example is, uh, you know, we don't have to talk about this situation, but the, the recent story, the recent events in the news um, in Ukraine or whatever, uh, someone pointed out to me that I shouldn't be laughing about this, but they pointed out to me, but uh, somebody posted on Twitter said, I'm you, I'm Ukrainian. Uh, please buy my awesome art NFT to support us during these hard times. Okay. Right. First of all, how do we know? Right. How do we know? Let's just assume you're telling the truth. Think about that. Right. Like it, we're in an environment where that's acceptable. Number one. And number two, it creates this weird situation where people might do it out of sympathy, but at the same time, it's like anyone could, you could have done that, right? I could have just found some picture online, you know, one of these memes online from all this stuff that happened yesterday, just found one of those girls' pictures, made a Twitter account, say, I, you know, break your English intentionally and say, hey, buy my NFT and you make money from a crisis, maybe a crisis <laughs> it's 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 really um it's really crazy it's almost <laughs> it's almost like and I, I don't say this seriously because i never believe that the solution to you know if if what you're trying to advocate requires people to um stop pursuing their self-interest then you're going to fail anyway right so i'm not i'm not saying this in a serious way but there's a there's a degree to which it's like hey if you want micropayment apps to succeed 
stop buying NFTs, right? <laughs> like, like, I mean, take, take an app that, that I love, that I play, uh, called it, which is just a little, you, you make picks on, on sports games. You know, there's like whatever, a couple hundred players on there that, that get on there and play. And it's really fun. And hey, you know, every week you get a few more than you had the week before and it's kind of growing. And, you know, whatever, you build that app and you're going to make a few hundred dollars or something like that at first, right? And if it gets really big, you can make a lot of money. But if you, as the makers have called it, if you just issued a token and said it's the call that token, we have some plans. It might, it might give you some bonuses or revenue. Share. We don't know. And we're going to do a, a token drop. You could probably make tens of thousands of dollars very easily, even among a very small market of, of BSV people, right? And you see everybody doing that. And so you're like, what's the incentive to, to keep building something real on tiny payments as long as people will keep buying them? Now, if you issued that NFT or that token and said, here it is, we're dropping this exclusive thing and nobody bought it, well, then you'd be like, well, well shit, people don't want this. They want us to just get back to basics and make our app better. Right. Um, so there's something there. I, I, funny story. I know this is not, oh, I guess it is turning into tell them why you mad son, <laughs> but um, on the NFT thing. So I thought again, I'm, this is not my, my thing. I'm not, I'm not into NFTs, but my um, well, except for the one that I did with canonic, which is a book, which is a physical thing. That's redeemable. I think that's kind of neat. I think that's kind of cool. But anyway, my daughter, she's really into art and she had this little painting. And I saw it in a room. I said, that's a really good painting. She's like, eh, I don't think so. I said, no, like that's genuinely good enough where like I could see that selling in some, you know, like home decoration show or store or something where people would hang that on their wall. It's really cute. And it's very like in with the times. It's like a dog with all these bright sort of colors that are very trendy right now. And she was like, oh, I don't think anyone would like it. And I thought, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to experiment. And she doesn't know anything about crypto or NFTs or all this crazy stuff. So I took a picture of it with my phone. I, at first I just tweeted it because I was like, hey, this is my daughter's, uh, my daughter's art. This is better than any NFT art I've seen. It was like a joke. And then someone's like, you should make it an NFT. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do this. So I go to RelayX. I mint this thing. And I say, I'm going to mint 10 of them. And I say, it's an it's a, uh, original acrylic by Vienna Rose, right? My daughter. And I mint 10 of them. And I'm like, I don't know what to list them at. So like, I just, I just put them all for like 0.01. B. So they were like eight bucks or eight or nine bucks. And then I go to Twitch and I'm like, hey, my daughter made this and she didn't think it was good. So I made an NFT of it. Uh, you know, if you think it's good, you should buy one or something like that, right? They all, all 10 of them sold. So she made like 80 bucks, <laughs> 80 bucks. And I showed her, I go, Vienna, remember that picture? You just made 80 bucks on it. And she has a hand cash wallet I set up for her. So I sent it to her hand cash wallet. She's like, what? <laughs> and I go, I go, yeah. And she goes, what? And she goes right away. She's 10. She goes, but it's a picture online. So anybody can just have it and copy it. What did they pay you for? And I said, well, I just listed it here and they, they buy them and they get this token. Like everybody can see the picture, but they have this like receipt that says that they bought it or whatever. Right. And she's like, she goes, I mean, I guess it's like that guy that taped the banana to the wall and people <laughs> like somebody bought it. Cause I don't know. She must've heard about that famous modern art story. She's like, I guess people just like to show off that they have the money to buy something. Maybe that's what it is. And I'm like, that's probably part of it. Like smart girl. And anyway, um, this is the crazy part. Within like, so she was like, this is kind of fun. Maybe I'll do some more of this, right? She got like this boost of, you know, confidence, whatever. I'll make some more art. I'll make some more NFTs. And I'm like, whatever, go for it. 
But within like a couple hours, I go on a relay and her thing was called like chromo dog or something like that. It's like it's a multicolored dog. And there were already two other ones up there. One was a different picture of a dog, but it was very similar. And it said original acrylic by Vienna Rose. It said that it was by her, but it wasn't. It was a different picture. Another one was the exact same one. It was hers. Somebody just screenshotted it and posted it and said original artwork by me. And they were selling on there. And I showed her. She was like, who would copy me? And I was like, there's probably somebody that just scans. And anytime they see something sell for more than a few dollars, they literally copy it and mint the exact same thing and go on. There. Like, this is what it's like. I showed her pictures of Bored Ape and I showed her some of the prices people have paid for some of these. And she was like, I don't get it. This is so crazy. But she immediately was like, but maybe I can sell some. <laughs> so it's the moral hazard instead of making art. And like, cause she was like, I'm going to have some, I'm going to see if I can sell some of these paintings at this local, like physical store or whatever. She's like, I'll just keep, I'll just keep taking pictures of this stuff that I've drawn and see if I can give people the, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, it's not all bad, but it's just crazy. It's just mayhem. Yeah. I, the, uh, what was I going to say about that? The, um, so yeah, the copy thing, because I think that's something that is really just drilling into the, the, the morality problems. So one of the actual value propositions of NFTs that I feel even the mainstream critics who are emboldened now because of, you know, how crazy things are is, um, is the actual traceable ownership, right? Like that token thing representing, you know, time to a contract hash saying, okay, this is a mutable contract. You actually do own this, whatever it is, whatever the creator says it is, right? However, some of the most successful stuff are people violating even that. So like the, the core value prop of NFTs is just being crapped on for the sake of short-term profit. So it's just, that's what I mean. Like, it's so crazy and absurd and just, you know, down is up, up is down. It's just, and, you know, I, I do think it has to stop at some point through, you know, natural market forces. But I mean, it's just, it'll be interesting to see how much longer it can go. Well, and that's where I think if you, if you have the ability, if you've got a long enough time horizon to keep building real things now, because then when the tide goes out, you know, you'll see who's got their pants up, right? right? And like, and if you're standing there with your pants up and you got something real, uh, suddenly everybody can see it and realize, mm -hmm. okay, this washed away 90% of all this crap, but there's some real legitimate things happening. There's some real interesting projects. There's some real functionality. Um, so you were talking about one of your things that got you interested was the, um, you know, the enterprise usage of kind of, you know, getting their, sharing their data but I have, but I have also heard you say that enterprise will not be the first to use um, nano payments or any of the other functions of crypto. That you think adoption will not come that direction. Give me, give me a little bit on that, because you, I mean, you have, you have actual experience working in a, one of the big consulting firms, if I remember correctly, um, and working in enterprise on some of this stuff. Why, why do you not see enterprise? coming first? And if not enterprise, do you see B2B startups or do you see consumer facing stuff being the big first movers? The, the reason for enterprise, I don't see it being first is because they're just too slow and archaic. And I, I also think just based off my time in the space, which, you know, is kind of rogue and ragtag with a bunch of people who are attracted by short-term profits that, you know, I can speak from experience that 
Just because you hear enterprise, that does not mean that they have their stuff together. And in fact, it probably means that they don't. Like it, I think if anyone worked in that world, they would see how disjointed, how dysfunctional. Like I, some of the clients, I'm, I was amazed that they turned a profit because of how horrible their business processes were. And these people are like middle market. We're talking hundreds of millions a year in revenue and they're profitable. But so the idea that these guys who are already slow, who might have, and in my video recently, I pointed out, they might have people, even when they agree to do a new project, they might have people that are so stuck in their ways, so old and so powerful, they might, they might comply a bit, but they might actively try to sabotage the project. That's the type of folks that you might deal with when you bring in something new, especially something that could potentially eliminate jobs, cut costs, is going to be very resistant. So this idea that enterprise, these big corporations will be the first to adopt this fledgling tech is just, it's a pipe dream. They will come, they will come late to the party, in my opinion. Now, you could have exceptions, right? You could have someone like Robin Hood. I'm not saying Robin Hood's going to adopt any of this stuff. I'm just giving an example because some it's, there's clearly some of these recent companies have really gut punched traditional services in the U.S. like Uber, Robinhood, Lyft, uh, DoorDash, right? Um, now they a question whether they make money is completely different, but uh, they have made taking market share effectively. Like retail, Amazon retail is just they've just sweat and eating all their lunch, right? So it might, maybe one of these guys that gets some funding and is a bit more rogue and kind of understands the problem and is nimble, maybe they can make headway against it. But I, I feel like it'll be the consumer apps that'll dominate because I feel like the they can be nimble, they can be more risk averse, especially if they only need a little bit to get started and they can really test stuff quickly. And then, okay, that didn't work, try this. That didn't work and iterate. And they'll be, you know, generating it. And then, then the enterprise will be like, oh, what? you see this guy? Oh, no. Okay. We got to jump in. And that's, I mean, that's typically, that is the typical pattern that, especially in the, in the realm of software, consumer leads, right? They start doing cool stuff and, and B2B starts looking more and more like consumer over time. You know, that's kind of the, that is a very typical pattern. So what do you... <clears throat> Is there an area you look at, and let's focus specifically on the on the micropayments component? Um, as I said, that's pretty broad, so it can involve a lot of different things. But what do you look at and say these are the areas where I think the most real interesting stuff is going to start emerging, or is already emerging um, the fastest? Is it is it in gaming? Is it in uh, gambling? Is it in, you know, um, what kind of what kind of uh, consumer facing apps? Yeah, I think it's those two. I think it's gaming and gambling. Oh, well, I nailed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, to me, I, I feel like the at least today, the company poised to have the most success in this arena. I don't know if they'll succeed or not. Is In my opinion, it's haste with that leaderboard payout stuff. So like the idea that you play an arcade game or something, and then all the people on that high score, it's not just a high score, it represents a share in the future plays. And it's not like they hold it and they pay you a month later. It's complete. It's, it's analogous to when they insert that quarter in the machine, that quarter is split up a hundred different ways and pay proportionally to the top people. I feel like that is, has, that is one of those use cases that show and doesn't tell. 
which yep. I think we need more of in just the crypto space because a lot of folks don't get it. But that to me would be like mind blowing to a lot of people who doesn't know it exists. And it's not even something people need to think about because most folks are familiar with that, right? I mean, most, even if arcades are done for the most part, most folks know that that's a thing. And, you know, folks have spent time at the arcade trying to get the high score and put it at the top on Pac-Man or whatever. So I, that's something I look at. And then in terms of gambling, um, this is also something I've talked about recently on my channel is that if you could do some of this micro stuff, you open it up so much, right? Because, you know, I mean, how I don't know if you've had this experience, but I have multiple times where you might go to a casino as a group, but you have some people that are just totally risk averse and lukewarm to it, right? But if they could bet a penny, they would be in there, right? Yeah, yeah. They would do it. But and and, the, and there's a there's a participatory social aspect. So like I don't gamble in general. I go to poker nights with my buddies where everybody pays 20 bucks and then we sit around for 3 hours playing a game. And I play like DraftKings where mm -hmm. we'll pay five bucks to do our draft. And the, the main reason is because it makes Sunday experience of watching football more fun. Exactly. It's, some, it, it's a participatory version of, of consuming sports. It's so huge right now with fantasy sports and whatever. And you can bring those thresholds down to pennies and, and all kinds of creative ways. I, I think it's huge. Yeah. And then you open it up to all these casual people who would never gamble in their lives, but now they'll do it. And they're not going to become degenerates, right? Because they're, you know, it'll just be fun. Oh, I bet 10, I bet 10 cents on the Super Bowl or the prop bets, right? That's the example I gave is that you could be doing that stuff at, in real time. And if you win a bet, okay, now I got 20 cents to bet on the next prop. Yep. Okay, how long is the halftime show? Like you win the one where they bet on the national anthem time, and now you can bet on the halftime show. Yep. You know? Yeah, I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot there. And it's kind of a, it's kind of like you said, you don't need to explain anything to anyone. You kind of give people a taste to see what it feels like to interact with data and content and each other in a way that involves very small amounts of money. And it starts to help you realize all of these sort of potential possibilities. And it kind of starts to build on itself. So, you know, it doesn't sound super revolutionary, but the app I mentioned called it, I, my, my kids, I've always loved football. None of my kids do this year. They all love football. They, because I got them all on called it and they all pick teams for 10 cents. So we'll all sit around Sunday morning before the game start. And they'll all be like, Oh, I don't know. I think the Rams are better than the Cardinals and blah. And you know, and they're, and it's so fun. It's made this like fun family experience. And we're talking with amounts of money where you might win five or 10 bucks at the most or 50 cents, or you might lose a dollar 50. Um, but it's, it's just like this really tangible experience that they have. And they don't know anything about crypto or care to them. Yeah. It's just this cool experience. And then if they were to encounter a fiat system that was incapable of that, they'd be like, well, wait a minute, that seems dumb. It should be able to do this. Money should oh, be yeah. able to be, you know, fractioned out in fractions of a penny. I don't get it. Why is that so hard? Right? <laughs> uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, talk to me a little bit about tokens. So something that, you know, on this series, we've primarily just focused on, you know, very small payments and all the things they can do. But there's a there's something with tokens that's it's obviously tied up and it's adjacent to those, right? Like, I mean, to, to easily mint tokens and use them, you need very small payments or very small fees, at least. Um, but there's some interesting things that, you know, 
tokens get into that that are beyond just you and I being able to transact fractions of a penny or a business being able to transact fractions of a penny? What what is it that that has you so interested in tokens? And like, what are some things that that opens up in terms of the programmability? For me, with the token stuff, is that you can start commoditizing things that no one would have ever thought about doing before. So I know uh, one great example is uh, the Numpties coin that you guys did, where you know it's based off uh, payment for the stream for the videos to watch the paywall videos, and based off the amount spent, you give that stuff back. Which everyone actually understands that concept because the same thing exists with say credit card points. And, you know, that's where I, you know, slight, slight little, slight tone why you've had moment here is like, why I don't understand why people don't see the correlation there. You know, I think it's because of all the ICOs and blatant scamming, but it's not, you know, when, if someone does this token stuff that, you know, on a crypto then or a blockchain or whatever, it's, it, there's no trailblazing here in terms of actually implementing that, right? Like we're, you're just doing reward points. And, you know, everyone, some folks jump, oh, that's an illegal security. But no, it's just a reward point. And just because someone actually value, puts a dollar price on that doesn't make it illegal or in a security, right? But anyway, that's what I want to say about that. But the reward points thing, like for me, one thing, so when I was traveling, I, when I was a consultant, I was also traveling a lot, flying three, Monday through Thursday, three times a month. And I got into big and called, it's called the churning. There's actually a whole subreddit dedicated to this. And it's, you know, you get all the credit cards and you find out how much money can you make even when you pay the annual fees. Okay. And you, cause you're doing expenses, right? So it's basically free attendees. Yep. So, you know, you fly all across the country and you accrue all these miles. Okay. How much are these miles worth? Like you're doing basically doing fine wall street analysis on this stuff. And there's even a site that actually puts a fiat value on these points like Delta sky miles, Amex points. And these are all tokens. However, they're all gated. They're all gated in the system, right? I can redeem what Chase tells me the value is, but hold on. There's this other site called the Points Guy who does this. He's big into all this stuff, taking first-class flights, doing the Maldives thing where your freaking room is literally on the ocean. Like he's done all this stuff and he's big into it. And he says Chase points are worth 2.1 cents. But if you go to Chase, you can only redeem for one cent. Why? You can't trade them. You can't move them. You might be able to move them to a family member, but even that's a pain. But if you take that and you let the market assign a value, and that's the distinction, right? That's the distinction between all these folks saying, all oh, this stuff is just illegal. No, all we're saying is let the market decide on this instead of these companies making something up. Because 2020, man, I mean, I'm not going to say what it, what it is. We know what it is. In 2020, man, how many people had their sky miles go to zero? Right. For their own reasons, whether they didn't feel safe, whether they didn't want to deal with the BS, whatever, whether they just didn't want to travel at all. They had scout points. Points guy says those are one point five cents. No, they're zero. They're actually zero. But if there was a market, fluid market, no. you And someone's like, oh, I got to fly on Delta this week. They'd be like, oh, hey, here's three hundred dollars. Give me all your scout miles. Done. It's, it's making previously illiquid markets liquid is just so, so magical. Uh, it's funny. I, I worked with a guy. He was one of these. He had one of the main websites on the like points world, whatever. 
And that wasn't his full-time job, but it basically could have been. And pretty much every day, something would get shipped to the office, like free freebies from these travel companies that wanted him to blog about them. So he was just constantly getting all this free stuff, but he would literally be like, I'm going to do a miles trip this weekend. I'm just going to fly to LA and back just for the miles because he's calculated that it's worth it. And then he'd be like, randomly like, Oh, there was a mistake. Some, the second best hotel in Paris accidentally published for like five seconds, the wrong price. And I like booked it and I'm going to like fly there just for one night and go to this restaurant. Just crazy. It's like this whole crazy subculture. But, um, but, but I know what you mean because I, I, so I used to travel a ton for work as well. And at one point, I had gold status on like two different airlines and silver on a third airline, which is horrible. I don't ever recommend traveling that much. It's horrible. Um, but once I changed jobs and I no longer traveled that much, it's like if you don't maintain that level of travel within a calendar year, then you lose it, right? And so I had gotten accustomed to pretty much always getting upgraded to, to first class on domestic flights. Um, and once I knew that I no longer had that job, if I could, if I could sell and transfer that to somebody. Now they've got to maintain it, but if they're just starting a job where they're going to be flying a lot and they're like, I want to get the miles now so that I have the status. Uh, there's just so many interesting things there. And again, companies will adjust their policies to, to work around that, all that stuff. But like, I, I like, as a good analogy for tokens, just sort of the ability to take something that's already happening and make it more easily tradable and have secondary, secondary markets for it. So, so you, so after Windbell, Tell me about some of the other things you built. Cause I know you created morning, morning run, which is sort of to track all these tokens. Um, was that the very next thing or was there something else in between? I can't remember. Yes. That, yeah. Well, I built, I built a token wallet that I actually recently upgraded to, to be a lot better. It's a lot more performant and looks a lot better. And that, that will hold your tokens or NFTs. So I did that. And I also, oh, in one, in that, so here's an actual use case for NFTs, but yet another example of not big market adoption is I got an artist in the space to draw like this tome of history. And it, look, it looks really good. He did a great job. And um, he actually minted the NFT. So he put his address for payment and he put a 7% royalty on it, but he sent me all of them. So I didn't pay him anything. He's just to do the art. He just put the 7% royalty. And then I built a market in my wallet, an NFT market where, and I, and I implemented the royalty since it was on chain, it was on the contract. And for 0.1 BSV Bitcoin, you can, um, you buy it and you unlock a feature within the wallet. If you hold it, you get the access to the transaction history feature. And when someone buys it, immediately he gets paid his 7%. I get my 1.1 coins and, you know, then the user gets their transaction history feature by holding this thing in their wallet. Um, so that's, that's an example of it, right? And, you know, point, point, uh, 7% of 0.1, that's in today's prices, that's like 70 cents. And that's getting paid to him real time. And that's less than that. It's like 50 cents. So every time someone hits that buy button, he's getting 50 cents. And I'm getting paid too. It was really cool. That is a really interesting idea. Essentially a tradable feature. Yes. Like I want to unlock this feature and then maybe after a while, I don't care about it anymore. I don't want this feature. I'll go sell it to the next guy who wants that feature. Uh, that's really, really interesting. That's, that's a very, that's a very clever, um, interesting idea, but did people not care too much about it or what? I mean, I did sell 20, 25 or 30 of them. So I was happy with it and the artist was too. And, but, um, you know, I mean, I'm happy with that. 
But again, I mean, this is something that does something, right? And it's pretty cheap. But if you look at some of the other stuff, they don't do anything. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you got it. It's, it's, all about, it's all about the way you frame it and hype it, I guess. Honestly, man, if I had sold that as just, like if I had fixed the supply to maybe like 50 or 100 and then just sold it, not saying anything, Yep. Hopefully would have made more money. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, you gotta you gotta set up a Twitter account and then like for a month keep doing like really vague tweets hinting at like something that's coming soon. Set your calendars. You will only have 20 minutes to to accept them. I hope you get one, you know, and do it that way. And, and but don't change anything and just strip away the feature. It doesn't show you your training. Don't work. Don't do any work. Yeah. Uh <laughs> yeah, you probably would have you probably would have done a lot better. Um so then you, you created Morin Run, which is just a, a website basically to track because anyone can now mint all these tokens on BSV in any, any way that they want to. And so there's this token market, but there, you know, there's nothing, there's no equivalent of coin market cap for tokens issued on the BSV network. So you basically created that. Is that, is that right? Yes. So I did that right after I released the wallet. And yep, that, that's basically the equivalent. It's not the equivalent, but it's, you know, it shows the price. Uh, the volume, the transaction count. It used to show that. I took that off for now. But what I wanted to do with that was, okay, yeah, I do want to mirror coin market cap in a sense. Like, obviously, people care about price. But I want to also show the activity of it. Because, you know, some of this stuff, like you just mentioned, yeah, maybe it's just bought and sold and people want to see the chart and they want to see the history of the transactions and, you know, who paid for what, right? But sometimes you want to see, okay, is this thing constantly active every day are people actually just sending this between each other and you know that's another metric that i think is more valuable right because i don't know if you i don't think coin market cap shows that i'm pretty sure they they have that's literally the only thing that i care about at this (laughs) point because i'm so interested in what you can build right and so i want to know is there a protocol that does micropayments and is anybody using it is there a big market out there of people that already have this thing that if i built an app they would use it and like you go to coin market cap it's like if I if I create a new token and I list it and then I buy one from myself for a million dollars and I list a hundred of them, now it's got a hundred million dollar market cap. It's like that's meaningless to me. Exactly. Yeah. Those actions every 24 hours are happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't it doesn't say anything about the liquidity. It doesn't show you what's actually happening, like what type of transactions are being done, which I think is another interesting thing. Like to see if okay, if people are doing other things with it or what type of thing is it, right? Because at this point, because of all the, you know, I, people thought it was crazy when, um, when CMC had like 2,000 coins. Now, I don't know. There might be 10,000, right? But at this, even at that point, the crypto space has evolved to where, okay, you, you know, you got Bitcoin, Ethereum, BCH, Solana. But like, why don't they, they're not curating at all because all they care about is price. Yeah. Well, obviously you can do different things with Solana than you can do with BCH. Or you can do different things with pancake swap because that that represents like a dex right so it's like they should have these sort of types of you know that's never going to happen because no one cares about it but that's the type of stuff i wanted to do a morning run like uh an example of something i i'm going to do eventually is like i want to have an icon like a record like a vinyl icon beside the nft if it's an audio nft stuff like that Uh, ah yeah okay hey what's actually happening with these things yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I would love to be able to see, and, and there are some places where you can find some of this for some chains, but like, you know, number of transactions, the last 24 hours, 
um, what type of transactions, you know, sort of broken down in a pie chart or whatever, uh, how much data per transaction, uh, how much, what was the cost per transaction and fees? What was the average size of transaction in dollars? You know, all that kind of, what are the apps that use those transactions? And you can get some of that for individual chains. Like I know BSV has a, has a, I can't remember the name of the website, but it kind of breaks down the apps that are doing the transactions and the protocols and different things. But, um, but that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in, right? Coin market cap stuff is just like, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not a trader. That's not what I'm, what I'm interested in. So, um, so I love, I love that you kind of did have done that and um, you're sort of showing the way with what some actual useful data could be on some of these tokens. And if, if I remember correctly, you even have, cause like when you mint tokens, you don't need to explain anything about them. You can, but you don't have to. Um, you actually have a place where there's like a description too, at least of some of the top tokens of like what they do. There's a link to the contract and stuff like that. Is that right? Yeah, if you drill into the page, that's actually on chain. So when someone mints their contract, they can choose to type in more details about it. And yes, I'll show that. And I think another difference between something like CMC is that um, mine, it just picks it up. Like if you mint, you don't have to talk to me. It's just going to show as if there's activity, it's just going to show up. Like I immediately index it and I create a page for you and all that stuff. And it's just done. And, you know, you can go to the site and you see it. So there's no, which, you know, as trade-offs, right? On one hand, if someone mints like PP token, then I'm going to show that. Yeah. But, and then I have to deal with it. But, you know, for the most part, you know, it's just showing the activity and what's, you know, what all's actually happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've talked about, you've been building stuff on, on BSV. Have you played around with other chains and other protocols recently or in the past? Um, what are your thoughts on the micropayment use case in particular? The, obviously, you think that BSV is, is the one worth building on right now. That's what you've been spending your time on. I'm curious, are there others that you think are interesting or you did in the past? Or what are your thoughts on that? How did you arrive at the decision that BSV you think is, is the one to spend your time on? I, for me, I started, I mean, Bitcoin at the time was like, what, late 2017, where I got kind of obsessed with it. And I started with that. And then I started messing around with Ethereum, um, Litecoin, Dash, Pivx. I definitely, I it in the, like the privacy stuff, the Dash. I was really interested in it because they're focused on the payment stuff. Um, who else? I did play a little bit with Solidity at the time. I mean, so, you know, time flies these days, but it feels like so long. But there were some other coins that I messed around with. But it, the thing that attracted me was scale, was the ability to scale. So at that time, that was BCH. And that's what I went into. And because that's, I thought, okay, of course we need, before I was brainwashing and thinking small blocks, then I got out of that thing. Okay, if this thing is actually going to be a global payment thing, it needs to be able to do, you know, it needs to be able to do more than what these other chains are doing. So BCH. And then uh, the difference at the time for me was, okay, BSV was clearly more focused on, you know, scaling this thing higher, right? And from the enterprise side, actually dealing with that stuff from before and seeing companies, you know, having to deal with holiday type volume. I mean, it's just a natural thing for me. So that's what pushed me over. Um, since then, I have not really forayed into other ones. Occasionally I use it when I need to bridge, like whether it's Tron or uh, BCH still, or Litecoin or something, 
or Ethereum. I mean, I can't even touch Ethereum. The fees are so out of control these days. Um, but so the newcomer is Solana, right? And that is something that is intriguing to me because they claim they can do it and they claim they can scale. So I kind of want to jump into it and just see what I can do. But I haven't since that point where I did all the experimentation back in 2018, I haven't like stepped out and back into it. Yeah. What about um, <clears throat> what made you convinced? So, I mean, I obviously get all the things you're interested in requiring very small payments, and that means very low fees. What made you convinced that that had to be achieved through larger blocks versus a second layer versus like the Lightning Network? Right. Um, the Lightning Network white paper was actually the trigger for me to exit every other crypto and go into BCH. So um, because it's just a replication of what already exists. And, and, and you know, this, I guess this goes back to it, we're going full circle here from the beginning of the conversation, man. The 99 percent of crypto, man. I mean, it's becoming so apparent to me that these guys in the space that have built stuff do not. And, you know, I don't want to sound like an old man yelling at, at folks on the line, but it's just it's so clear that these guys have not actually worked in profitable businesses before because <laughs> you <laughs> you got to be able to this stuff needs to work right like <laughs> the first use case is to make it work right like, <laughs> so um what was the oh but the lightning white paper well yeah what about the light paper made you you know got you mad they, they focused almost, so one of the, the huge issue with credit cards, and this continues to plague retailers even today, is chargebacks. Meaning that, especially for someone who's just shipping, if you place an order with a vendor and they ship your product, if they don't, if, you know, lost in the mail, or maybe the guy just wants to be a, the receiver, the customer just wants to be a, a, a jackass or whatever, they can just say, oh, I, I never got that. And then they can go to their credit card. They don't even have to go to the platform they purchased on or the guy they paid. They can just go to their credit card and say, hey, um, I never got that. Uh, this guy's trying to scam me. I want my money back. And they'll basically go through remediation. And 30 days later, they'll credit them back. And the, the vendor, they shipped the product, but they didn't make any money. They never got paid out by the credit card company. And it's huge. And to me, one of the one of the things that attracted me about Bitcoin is irreversible payments, right? Because and it doesn't mean irreversible that it's just done. It just means that, like anything, right? If I go to the grocery store and I end up buying a, a milk that's spoiled, I can go back and say, "Hey, give me my three dollars back, or give me a new milk." So you actually negotiate like humans and you interact. Say, "Give me my money back," versus this weird process where we hit up a third party. And you do this remediation over 60 days and the guy thought he made a sale and maybe he accounted for that. I mean, you just think about the amount of financial backtracking and effort and uh, administration to do, deal with that. That shouldn't even exist. That's just completely solved by the fact that Bitcoin can do uh, immutable transactions. Right. The Lightning Network spends almost half or two thirds of this paper talking about how to do refunds. And I'm just like, oh, my God. You guys have just lost the plot. Anyways, I, I, you know, big tangent there. The, but the second layer stuff, to me, when I hear second layer, I'm just like, you're just going back to somebody's database. That's just trusted solution. And it's just like, why? That's not why we're here. We want something that's open, 
global, public, immutable to use so that everybody knows that hash goes to this. Everybody can agree. That's what happened. That's the value. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think, what do you think needs to be built right now? If anything, maybe it's all already there. Maybe all the pieces are already there, but to enable app developers to start building the next generation of micropayment based apps, what kind of tooling needs to be in place? Like though, you know, I'm, I'm not a coder myself. So I tend to think more like no code level tools, which we're probably several steps away from, but you know, if I want to spin up, I can spin up a lot of stuff now as somebody who doesn't know how to code, I go get set up Stripe. I go set up a WordPress page. I go get a bunch of plugins. I can, I can charge you. I can create paywalls. I can charge you to, to go in and interact with a, an Airtable spreadsheet or type forms or all kinds of stuff. And then obviously, if you know how to code, it's very easy. If you want to build a game and you have a Stripe credit card payment right there and you got people can do that stuff now without needing to know anything about banking, you know, financial um, software products, right? They just use Stripe or whatever it is. If someone wants to build uh, an arcade game or a gambling game or whatever they want to build, any kind of game, that, any kind of app of any type that uses micropay, maybe they want to build a productivity app or a, a version of Trello where you have to pin a money amount on each of your tasks and then you get, get that back if you complete whatever. How hard is that? Like what needs, what kind of tooling needs to be done or is it already in place? Can that all be done right now? As I can just speak from my bias, subjective view. In my opinion, the examples you gave, that it's it's ready to go. It's, it's all there. Now, some people will argue with me. Well, the reason I have that opinion is because I've seen, I've made this comment before. I've seen people enter this space a few years ago that had no coding at all. And they have built applications in this weird space, in this weird Bitcoin space. So... To, to, I, don't, I don't see how someone could disagree with what you're saying or what, what, what I'm saying based off that, right? Because if that's true, then the experienced person who knows all the tech should be able to just hit the ground running, right? Because if someone with no coding could do it, then obviously someone with a lot of coding should be able to. Um, however, we've clearly not seen that play out. And I think there's two reasons for that. Number one is, again, the incentives to just, you know, do this short-term profit stuff. But the other, I think, is that um, I think there's a lot of hubris. And to me, that's probably, you could argue that that's the number one reason this whole space space is looked upon the way it is, is because, you know, it's like this whole revenge of the nerd scenario, right? (laughs) That's the, I mean, if you look at it, we just talked, we talked about Vitalik. If you look at the BTC developers, um, you know, and all the cryptos, if you look at who's actually running the show, I mean, is that's what it is, right? Like these guys are probably bullied and now they, you know, they're technical and now they're, you know, they're making billions of dollars from this stuff. So they're like, ha, look, see, but they don't have the, the pride to like take a step back and say, oh, well, I can do this very simple thing. So when someone comes in externally, they might just want to tinker, play around, show off, you know, theorize, talk about all these weird things that, you know, might get a lot of attention, but no one wants to just make the simple app. For, for, why don't we have one where it's just basically Zoom and Bitcoin, right? Like yeah. that, that's just seen to reserve a spot. You have different spots on the calendar. 
If you want to book me at, at midnight, the cost is $1,500. But maybe someone wants to do that, right? Why hasn't someone built that? I think it's, it's just because like most programmers, at least that are looking into the space, and I guess that shows you how little people are really paying attention to it. It's really just big numbers. It's not really a lot of people involved, but it's just, they're not able to just kind of, okay, bring it down here, build something simple, have scope, right? Define, I, I guess that just demonstrates the lack of professionalism in, in the whole space. Um, there is an app that I've used. I don't even know if it's still live called Dimely, where you can go on and you can say my, my cost is whatever, 10 cents a minute. Right. And then someone can like, it's not like you can't pre-schedule, but you can click like, oh, give Isaac a call. And that call comes in and I can either accept it or not. And then it's a Zoom call like this. And it's charging 10 cents per minute to that person directly from their wallet to mine while we're on that call. Um, again, it's kind of built, spun up, pretty cool. I played around with it early on. I had a lot of fun. I was like, oh, this works. It's like magic. But it's, it's built on BSV because... Again, maybe some other maybe some other coins can do this. And by the way, this is a good time for me to make an aside. Actually, I'll hold the aside. Give me, I'll finish this. But, um, but there's just very, very, very few people that have BSV. And so there's like you go on there and there's like ten or twenty people, whatever. And it's very hard to build a consumer facing app. Period. I mean, let's be honest. How many people have tried to build the next social network? Like it's very, very difficult, especially if it has any kind of network effect. Um, if it's a you know a, anything that's sort of social, whatever. Um, but. I have seen a lot of cool things spun up that are really cool proof of concept. And they would basically only be valuable businesses if they had really big scale because they're working with tiny payments. Right. And the total addressable market today of people who have BSV and know that they have BSV, I mean, there are people that have it that don't know they have it because it got forked off to them. Um, but, and that like use it in any way. I don't know, it's maybe five or 10,000 people, maybe. Something like that. I mean, I mean, maybe it's bigger than that, but it doesn't seem to be much bigger, right? And so, um, you know, that's that's kind of like um, makes me think. Well, maybe more people just need to have an easier time getting BSV. But I've heard you say that you think this idea of making it easier for people to obtain BSV, fiat on ramps that that's not going to solve, that's not the solution. That's not going to bring a flood of new users and make some of these micropayments apps more viable businesses. Why, why do you think that? It's, it's not that I don't think it will. I thought that the primary driver was the app, like the value prop of the application or game itself. And the example I kept pointing back to was the, was the game, the Axie Infinity, which went viral despite the fact of being plagued by you know, high network fees and, you know, huge barrier to entries that it somehow got a poor community to adopt it uh, with, with still coming, even though the, um, they didn't have the hurdles of where you couldn't, you, you know, you download an app and it's just not available, whatever the coin they were buying, because they had it with Coinbase or whoever, or Binance, but the barrier to entry was so high to me, that's almost worse where, okay, no, you need a thousand dollars to just start. So like, a, 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 now I don't think that game is going to be successful, but it's just an example. I, now, I, but I do think, I mean, it's clearly an issue, right? Um, you know, because I've seen the feedback from yourself and a lot of others. I just felt that it's like a number one, number two. Number one is the app needs to be like the thing. And then number two, okay, 
obviously we need somebody to get it. And, you know, like when we're having this conversation yesterday, it's here. We got it with hand cash. Now you can do five bucks, man. It's so slick. Three clicks. You got it. And yep. you're ready to go. So um, I think that's going to be great. Like, I think, I think you'll see some of these apps that might've been ghost towns before. Now they have a chance if they're still willing, you know, fighting to, you know, push forward. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. There's, there is one way in which the, cause any, any app has a lot of friction points and you want to reduce friction, right? The, the easier it is for your users to engage with your, your app and your core value prop, uh, the better, the, the less constraints to growth, but you need a core value prop that's really compelling. And early on, you need one that's so compelling, people are willing to overcome a lot of friction, right? So most of the most successful consumer apps in history, you look at their first version and they were like, not super easy to onboard to, not super easy to use, but like for the early adopter market, they offered something so valuable, people were willing to go through a lot of headache just to get them, right? And so like, I think, because I, I very much think that the difficulty obtaining BSV is a major hurdle. Like, like I said, if I want to share a call with a bunch of my buddies that play fantasy football, but don't give a shit about crypto, there's no way for them to get BSV. They got to do all this crazy stuff. It's very hard to get, There's you know, whatever. So I get that. That would, that would make that easier. I can think of examples where half a dozen people might actually use an app like that if it was uh, now that Handcash is out there. I know, I know half a dozen people that will use that. They'll go on Handcash, they'll top up a few bucks just so they can play that app. So there is something real to it. But on the other hand, like to go on an exchange and upload your ID and do all the stuff you need to do to buy BSV, if something's compelling enough, people will do it, right? People will. I mean, you got, you know, you get on Airbnb to host a house. It's, you got to do a bunch of stuff. You got to verify your identity. You gotta, but yet millions of people will host their home on Airbnb because they can make 2,500 bucks while they're gone for the week. Uh, and that is worth it to them, right? They'll go through those hoops. They'll do a background check if they need to, right? Um, so I think that's a really, that's a very important point to not lose. It's not like, oh, well, there's just not enough people in this market, even though we have the most valuable app in the world. Um, I mean, really make the value prop compelling and people will be willing to overcome some hurdles. And you got to work on both. I agree. You got to work on both. But um, so here's my aside. And I got I to just add this because I've had a lot of people who have watched these videos and read some of the things that I've sent out on nanopay.cash as well, which I share these videos. And I also do some other stuff about tiny payments. I've had a lot of uh, a handful of people come to me and say, hey, how got, you got to talk about Dash. Or you got to talk about nano. Those are really the, the only two that I have not talked about that people have asked me to talk about. And uh, I always uh, say the same thing. What's that? Nano, nano was uh, one of the other ones I went into in my initial journey. That was one of the, that I forgot about. <laughs> so you said, so there you go. So now there you go. I'm talking to somebody who does nano, but, but this is what I always say. And I'm, I'm saying to anybody watching this right now, like I am 100% genuine when I say I'm fascinated by micropayments and nano payment use cases and I want to talk to and explore all of those. And so if there's any actual apps that are built or being built um, on a different protocol, Solana, the Lightning Network, I don't care, BCH, uh, you know, uh, Nano, Dash, share that with me. I'll, I'll poke around on the app 
um, when I get time. And if it's cool, I'll, I'll review it on the Substack. If there's somebody I can talk to, I'll, I'll talk to them on a video. I'm not at all, I've talked to a lot of people who are building on BSV, primarily because in the couple of years I've been looking at this, that's really the only place that I see people building consumer facing or really any kind of micropayment apps. That's kind of it. There's a, there's a couple in other places, but that's really it. So anyway, for anybody listening, um, I, I don't want to just bring on people to talk about different protocols. We've done a little bit of that with Dean. We compared protocols, but I want to build, bring on people who, have, who are actually building something or have built something that involves the use of tiny payments. I don't care what protocol it's on. If it's a working app and there's something cool there, um, an interesting model or whatever, happy to look into it, happy to talk to them. So I just had to, I had to throw, that, throw that out there. Um, Okay, Josh, this is what we're going to bring it home with. We open with, tell them why you mad, son. We're going to, we're going to close with, tell them why you happy, son. What, uh, what gets you excited? What, what makes you optimistic and uh, feel like, hey, man, yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff, but there's some really cool stuff going on that you're hyped about. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not, I can't predict what's going to happen, right? I don't know where these prices are headed. First off, I do think the, crypt, the crypto stuff is at a bottom specifically BSV, I think that, you know, the downside is very low. This is my opinion, right? Not financial advice. Because of the huge gap between what is actually being built by businesses, by like not people just like me sitting in my office, but registered businesses who have actually invested capital. There is a huge gap between that and the sentiment of how people generally feel about it inside and out, right? whether you're actually within the space and you bag holding or you're a user or you're building, whatever. There is such a big gap there because in my view, based off what Haste is doing, with where Handcash is going, DuraDog, some of these micropayment apps, like your app, the called it stuff, some of the stuff I'm going to be working on, crypto fights again, I, I, I hope I said that. Based off the direction they're going, I, I'm not saying they're all going to succeed, but to me, it's very hard for me to see a year from now how there's less usage, how there's less demand, there's less activity. Just because some of these guys, while they have apps, they haven't even started with marketing because of some of the reasons we've talked about, because they realize that the space is a huge clown show and the onboarding part, right? But now with some of these issues being solved, because like, right? I mean, you know, most someone will tell you. Also, crypto things a scam. Everything's going to zero. Okay, well, why did this wallet app just add the ability to top up? Why did why did they work on that? I mean, I'm sure that took months and huge hurdles with legal. Why did they do that? Why is Haste now finally finally pushing forward marketing? Why is Crypto Fight launching a token for their game? Like, why are they? Uh, so that's what I mean. To me, the activity that I see to push forward in 2022. With the gap in the sentiment, it just makes me kind of really excited because that means there's lots of opportunity, not with just coin price, but to get involved, right? Because if you're just involved, right, and this this thing actually turns out to be successful, then you're, especially when you talk about referral links with these micropayments, I mean, now, man, I, <laughs> I'm getting pinged. I just open up every morning. I'm like, oh, shit, I got a lot more money than I did yesterday. I mean, it's not a lot more, but it builds up, right? And, you know, and, you know, Handcash also added referral things. So, like, your example, if you want to onboard folks to call it, you, you give, you, they sign up to your thing. When they top up, you're going to get paid, 
right? So it's just that stuff is just going to iterate and feed on itself. And that's, that's where I see, that's where I'm happy with and excited about. I love it, man. Uh, any, uh, where, where, where should people go? If they want to follow you, learn more about what you're up to, what's the best place to check out? So for me, the, is my YouTube channel. It's just my name, Joshua Hensley. Um, I'm doing more on that. I'm trying to do two to three videos a week. Maybe I'll do more. And it's growing, which I'm really happy with, which I think more folks are kind of looking in outward in, it seems like. And I'm just going to keep pushing forward with that. And because there I'll also talk about the stuff I'm working on. So I did two recent videos on my wallet and the morning run. So I'll, I'll actually, you won't just get content or, you know, price talk or whatever. You'll also get, you know, feedback on stuff that I've built and why I did certain things and how I failed to. And, you know, in areas that I also uh, made progress in. I love it. I noticed uh, your videos uh, are monetized. So you get to experience the, um, the very clunky uh, non micro payment version of getting paid for your content by getting those uh, sweet monthly YouTube commissions. (laughs) (laughs) Have you, have you made, have they sent you any money yet? Not yet. I will. I should get it in March. So like you got to wait like several months or something, or how long does it take? I just hit it in December. Like I just enabled it in December and I've hit the threshold. It's just at this point, it's a waiting game. So um, I'll, I'll get my first one sometime in March, but after that, it should be every month. But yeah, it is crappy. It's really crappy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you just from day one, get, you know, whatever, a couple cents per video and however many they they come through. Yeah. It's there. It's there. Hey man, always, always a blast to talk with you. Much appreciated. See you next time. Thanks man.